0: Chapter 33 of The Last of the Vikings by Johan Boyer Translated by Jesse Muir This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 33 How blue the Westfjord can be, and its waves frolic in sunshine and wind like children playing leapfrog and shouting with delight! How warm the air on the cheek, although it is only April, and the snow is lying six feet deep in fjords and valleys. The fleet of sails dispersed in all directions, some sailing out through the sounds toward the Westerålen Islands, and others toward the northeast, where they tacked in within the belt of islands past Hoshta and Ibusta, and farther north up the endlessly long coast of Finnmark. Those who were going east toward the mainland or farther south sailed away before a fair wind, such as one would like when racing. The Stadsboats boats differed from the others in having a topsail above the high square sail, and at the top of the mast a red pennon that fluttered in the wind. All along the Lofoten Wall, stretching westward in the golden sunshine, white sails were moving looking smaller and smaller the more distant the station from which they sailed out. Those from Balsta, Sørvågen, and Gloppen looked like mere dots beneath the sunny sky. Across the blue westfjord they sailed, all filled with a longing for home a suddenly awakened longing for spring and sunshine, for green grass and budding woods, for some little cottages on headlands and up fjords in the south, farther and farther south for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Those that were friends tried still to keep together. Andreas Ecra indeed had stolen a march on them, but the sea-flower cleft the waves just to leeward of the seal, and Peter Shusansa was a few boat lengths to windward. The three headmen often looked westward over the sea, as they thought of a comrade's boat, with striped sail, that had rowed out from Stamson that winter. They did not now take the shortest way across the west westfjord, so as to gain the shelter on the mainland, for the days were long and bright, they steered in an oblique line for a snowy peak that glowed in the sunshine only just visible on the southeastern horizon. It was Lanagou, and they meant to sail the hundred and fifty miles of sea to it before night. There were boats in front, behind, and on all sides, rising and falling on the gentle swell of this wide blue plain the brown boats with their bellying sails rowed upon the waves and let themselves be carried along through the light and foam but at last the wave could not spare any more time and rolled on leaving the boat to follow with the next wave the nolan boat with its fine lines and broad tanned sail flew lightly along while the headman sat with the tiller to windward and was on good terms with the wind and the weather A heavy sloop with square stern was in the throng, panting along with its cheeks puffed out like a heavily-laden market-woman. Pfff! Wait a little, good people! For a hundred years these same sloops carried a black patch on their sail in memory of the poet of the North, and they still seemed to stagger along with mourning on board. Farther off a pointed lister boat cut through the water. Vexed at not being in front of the others, and a little to leeward a black galleas plunged along with a confusion of grey three-cornered sails in her rigging. The north wind freshened, and it became easy to see which boats were in their element on the sea. Wind and open sea do for some, but not for all. It takes a good deal to make the headman of a Stadtsboat lower his topsail when he is on his way south. The boat is heavy and steady from having lain so long in the water, and there are a good many barrels of liver in the cargo. The boat can do with plenty of sail. The headman stood with a warm light reflected from the sea upon his face, swinging the tiller backward and forward above his head. He was in a good temper today— for he was on a voyage again, on his way toward something pleasant that was awaiting him far beyond those rosy clouds that he could see on the horizon, and he had a good wind. The boat, too, was something more than a boat. She had come sailing out from long distant ages, she had once been a Viking ship, and even now the headman standing there was not a fisherman but a chieftain. THE WATER FOAMED ABOUT HER BOW AND RUSHED IN white STREAMS ALONG HER SIDES. THIS WAS WHAT A WIND SHOULD BE. THERE ARE MANY WAYS OF SAILING, AND NOW THE MEN FELT THAT PLEASANT THRILL ALL THROUGH THEIR BODIES, AND THEY LOOKED AT ONE ANOTHER AND LAUGHED. KRISTAVER'S FACE WAS BEAMING. THE SEAL WAS LIKE A NEW BOAT. SHE HAD HER CARGO AND HER MAST AS SHE LIKED THEM. She had to come out with it, at last, and now she could bear all the sail Kristav considered he could put upon her. There was now harmony between rigging, hull, and sails, as if they had sung themselves together in wind and wave, and he now stood listening to the song of the boat and her rigging in the fresh wind. Some gulls from the islands had been following them all this time, but now they turned. Au! Ah A pleasant voyage and a speedy return!' And they flew back over the green-blue water in the direction of a far-off row of white rocks standing up in the middle of the sea. It was the Lofoten Wall, already left far behind with its snowy peaks glowing in the golden sunshine. The men took a farewell look. They had all gone through experiences of one kind or another during these winter months. Peter Susansa turned his head several times. For fifty years he had come up every winter for the fishing, and this would be the last time. He would never come again. There was a considerable difference in the contents of the various headmen's pocketbooks. They had all made a good deal by the fishing at one time or another, but not a few had been unfortunate and lost their nets once or even oftener, so that in the end, their gains did little more than cover their losses. And if they had a few banknotes, large or small, when they reached home, there were holes enough there for them to stop up. But what did it matter? They were on their way home. Each man stood in his place on board, with his legs apart, careless of the spray that dashed into his face. They looked at the green seething water, with its white horses riding out into the red sunset sky in the west, on which rose a belt of gold-edged clouds, making a wonderful paradise into which to gaze. The wind blew stronger, and a seething wall of green water and foam rose on each side of the boat. Ha! ha! they looked at one another again. This was something like sailing. Far down in the southeast, land appeared on the horizon, a coast with a long irregular line of white-topped mountains that had a rosy tinge under the clear cloudless sky. The sea-flower drew in toward the seal, and Jakob shouted that they would really be in much too early, for the hundred and fifty miles were nothing with such a wind. What would the others say to changing their course and setting it a few miles farther south, perhaps to Kunna? It was a pleasure sailing in such weather. Kiristaver's answer was a good-humoured smile, and so the sea-flower set the new course, and the others followed. If this weather continued, they would do the seven hundred miles in four days. Damn it all! with the limp was most eager to get home this year, not because there would be anyone standing on the beach to welcome him, but because his great wealth had shrunk so much during the last week or two up at the station. Cornelis had taken a good lump with him to the bottom of the Westfjord, and the station king had taken many large notes from him because he had guaranteed for several of those who were lost in the storm. What of that? It was not exactly amusing to be a king one day and a beggar the next, but it was at least a consolation to be on the way home. Home? Why, certainly he was going home. And so he stood at the helm, his weather-beaten face wreathed in smiles, and every now and then hummed to himself, Oh, dear, Maria, oho! Late that evening they passed the beacon light outside Kunna, and the next day they continued their voyage with the same fair wind. There was a fleet of square-sailed boats thronging through the sounds, between small islands and rocks that hid them from one another, so that only a topsail and a pennon could be seen flying along on the other side. Then they came into open water again. The number of Nolan boats became smaller and smaller as they kept turning in along the Helgeland shore to their homes, and here their southern boundary was reached the days grew brighter and the sun's rays hotter and soon there were only stadsboats sailing southward along the grey coast the waves rolled in toward the long wall of mountains that towered into the sky and the heat of the sun caused masses of snow to loosen from their sides and fall with a noise like thunder into the sea but this time everything was bright and clear the islands were washed by the waves until they shone. The seabirds floated on the water and uttered glad cries. It was the mating season, and soon the females would walk up the rock to lay their eggs behind some convenient stone. The snowy mountain tops were no longer hidden in sea mist. They were bathed in light and turned crimson in the sunset glow it was as though land and sea were already adorning themselves for the summer with its hot endless days and its crimson flaming night skies the boats sailed past a patch of cultivated ground in a mountain cleft where the sheep were out already and the scent of the damp earth made the fishermen's nostrils quiver and awakened hopes of real spring when they reached home, with the cuckoo calling in the woods and the starling whistling on the roof. Now the men in the offjord boats were waving their southwesters. Good-bye! They turned into their fjord, the first statsmen to reach home. Weather-beaten men in heavy sea-boots went into cottages, along the beach, in there, carrying with them an odor of salt sea and of tar. "'Welcome home!' And no sooner did a man sit down than he felt two little arms thrown around his neck. The boats that were going still farther south met a flying triangle high up in the sky, going north. "'Cock! cock it said tastes differ. The gray goose had grown homesick for some desolate shore on the arctic ocean, far, far north. End of chapter 33